the Gospel of John with me, and uh, we're going to journey through actually a good portion of the Gospel of John. Uh, I'm not going to have you turn there, but we're going to kind of summarize a little bit of stuff for you as we are here to celebrate um, just this awesome, defining moment in our faith, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is alive. And that's really good news for us. And I hope that you are excited. I hope that for you it's defining a little bit of who you are today in your life and your ministry and how you react and respond because it's a really big deal. And, uh, and so let's pray together and then we're going to uh, dig in uh, for a good, pretty good bit here. Father, we love you. And God, we are excited that we're here today. We're excited that uh, we get to dig into your word. We're excited that as we've gotten a chance to sing praise and worship, God, you are great and awesome and wonderful, and we praise and thank you for everything and every gift that you've given us today. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a lot of different people uh, who are in the room today. Some of you are regulars here, some of you are members here, some of you are guests. We are so glad that you're here. No matter who you are, we are just thrilled that you're here. And, but the reality of it is, with all of the different people in the room, there's a people in the room that believe differently as well. And I don't want to talk today necessarily about what you believe. I want you to dig a little bit deeper into the question of why do you believe? Why do you believe? And, and here's where I'm going with this. I believe that Jesus is exactly who he said he was. I believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. I believe he walked in this world. I believe he's the very son of God. I believe at the same time he is God. I believe that he was fully man and fully God. I believe he ministered in this world for about three years once he turned about 30 years old. I believe he went around performing many different miracles, many different signs that testified to who he was. I believe that he was betrayed by one of his closest disciples, and I believe that he uh, was tried. I believe that he hung on a cross and bore the full weight and penalty of all of my sins, and it is through him that I can have a relationship with the Heavenly Father. I believe that as he was buried in the tomb, I believe that three days later he rose from the dead. That's what I believe. I believe then he appeared to hundreds of people, and about 40 days later he ascended into heaven, and one day he's coming back. That's what I believe. And for many of you, that's what you believe. But the question is, why do you believe it? Why do you believe those things? Do you believe those things? Because maybe you were like me and you were brought up in a Christian home and your parents taught you to believe those things and you thought, well, my parents are good people. I trust my parents. And because my parents are good people and I trust them, I'm going to believe like they believed. Is that why you believe? Maybe you believe because somewhere in your past you went to a Bible-believing church, and in that Bible-believing church you had a great Sunday school teacher or a vacation Bible school leader or a great youth pastor or just a great somebody in the church who invested in you, and they taught you to believe that truth. And so that's why you believe that truth. Maybe that's why. Maybe you believe that truth just simply because the Bible said it. After all, isn't that one of the big reasons that we all sing the little children's song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And so for you, it's just simply the Bible tells you that it's true, and so you're going to believe it. Is that why you believe? 
Or maybe you're somebody in this room who doesn't believe like I believe and like many others in this room who do believe. Maybe you believe a little bit differently. I want to challenge you this morning. Why do you believe? Why do you believe differently than we believe? Not what you believe differently. Why do you believe it? Why do you believe it? You might believe it differently because your mom and dad taught you to believe it and you don't trust your mom and dad. In fact, you have spent your whole life rebelling against everything that your mom and dad stood for. And that's really the only reason you have to not believe in Jesus. Maybe you don't believe because you were a part of a Bible-believing church growing up. Maybe you don't believe because in that Bible-believing church, yes, your Sunday school teacher taught you to believe that truth, but somewhere along the way, that church fell apart. Maybe that church split. Maybe that church did something that caused division or something that hurt you in your past, and you said, if that's what they believe, I don't want to believe that, and so that's why you don't believe. Maybe you don't believe because somebody in your past has challenged you and said that the Bible's not true. And so maybe you've begun questioning that the Bible's not true. I just want you to dig down a little bit today and ask yourself the question, why do I believe? Why? Why do I believe? Well, in John chapter 21, we're introduced to a few guys um, in, in that were close followers of Jesus. But before we get and really dig into John 21, I want to remind you a little bit about Jesus' life. I want to remind you a little bit about Jesus' ministry because I think it's a really big deal because I think Jesus was really somebody. I think he was somebody worth believing in, and I believe it for a lot of the same reasons that you believe it, but I believe it today because of what we're going to read and look and dig into in the scriptures. You see, if you're first introduced to Jesus in John chapter 1, you're a little confused because John introduces Jesus calling him the Word. He calls Jesus the Word, and he says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But then he goes on in verse 14, which is one of somebody's favorite verses in here, and it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. This beautiful picture in our life that Jesus, who says, John said, was God, who was with God, who created everything that's been created, became flesh, clothed, robed in all humanity, in all flesh, and lived and walked among us. John said that. John, who became a faithful follower of Christ. That's how we're introduced to Jesus in the Gospel of John. In John chapter 2, we're introduced into Jesus' ministry when he was, say, about 30 years old in this great miracle that many of you have heard of, especially those of you who aren't Baptists, because Baptists don't want to talk about the fact that Jesus turned water into wine. We like to just sort of skip over that one because it makes us a little uncomfortable. And not only did he turn water into wine, but man, he, he served the best wine last. You see, at uh, a wedding party, it was pretty common for them to save the worst wine for last because as somebody became a little more and more intoxicated, they could slip the bad stuff off as the good stuff and nobody knew the difference. But Jesus gave them the good stuff last and he didn't wait. But that's the first introduction we have into Jesus' ministry is that he shows up at the wedding party. His mom says, maybe you should do something. And he's, he's kind of like, mom, my time's not yet come. But he turns water into wine, performing the first miracle. In John chapter 3, you're introduced to a guy named Nicodemus. Some of you have heard of Nicodemus before. He enters into this conversation with Jesus. And he says, hey, what must I do to be saved? Paraphrased a little bit on my part. And Jesus says, you must be born again. And Nicodemus, because he's about as smart as the rest of us are, he goes, can I really climb back in my mother's womb and be born again? I've already been born once. Can I be born a second time? That's the question that Nicodemus asked. I think it's a great question. 
right? Because what, what do we say about questions? The only dumb question is the question not asked, right? Well, this is a good question. How can I do this? And Jesus goes on to give the greatest verse or the most recognized verse, the most famous verse in all of Scripture, right? And he says, John 3, 16, let's quote it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And we, that's like the hallmark verse, right? Some people actually shy away from it because there's that guy holding the poster that says John 3, 16 all over the sporting events. But it's a great passage of Scripture. And as John is recounting, as he's writing the Gospel, and he's recounting this exchange between Jesus and Nicodemus, he writes at the end of chapter 3 of John, he says, he who does not have the Son of God, meaning Jesus, he who does not have Jesus, the wrath of God is abiding on him. The wrath of God is abiding on him. So I say, man, if you've got Jesus, you've got a good thing. This Jesus must really be something. He steps in the way and absorbs the wrath of God on our behalf. This Jesus is really something. What a great picture. John chapter 4, you're introduced to this woman at the well. Remember the woman at the well? You're familiar with the story probably. Jesus goes into Samaria. It shouldn't have been there. It's one of those places. It's like a place you're not supposed to hang out if you're a good Jewish person. And then he sits down at the well because he's tired and weary. And he has this encounter with a woman who says, he basically says, can I have something to drink? paraphrase, and she says, you don't have anything to draw with, and then they go into this great exchange where he says, hey, I'm the living water. He who drinks of me will never thirst again, and she's completely confused, starts to get a little bit agitated because Jesus starts confronting her about her sin, and he says, go and call your husband, and she says, I'm not married, and she's, he goes, you have spoken correctly. In fact, um, you've had five husbands, and the man you're living with now, he's not your husband, but Then they go into this great exchange, and she realizes this Jesus is really something. In fact, she goes into the next town, and she gathers the people around, and she says, come and see. Come and see this man who has told me everything about my life. Come and see. Come and see. In John chapter 5, you know, the man at the pool of Bethesda, maybe you're not familiar with it, there's this pool, and it would get stirred up, and the first person to jump in the pool, so to speak, would get healed. And there's this guy, he can't get there, and he can't get anybody to help him get into the pool to be healed. And Jesus walks by, and he asks the guy some questions, and basically looks at the guy, and he says, be healed. And the man's healed. He takes up his mat, and he walks on, and goes on from there. This Jesus was really something. He made lame people walk again. John chapter 6, you're introduced, you see Jesus with a multitude of people that are surrounding him. There's 5,000 men, probably 10 to 15,000 people. And you know what he does? He takes five loaves and he, he, he takes two fishes and he breaks them, he blesses them, and then he feeds 10 to 15,000 people. This Jesus is really something. Later on in the chapter, and because his disciples were completely lost in who Jesus was, he comes and he, and he appears to them by walking on water. So in the same chapter, he feeds 5,000 people and he walks on water. This Jesus is really something. In John chapter 8, you see that Jesus shows compassion and steps in when the woman called in adultery. You remember this story? This woman who uh, the, the townspeople gather around, the men of the city are claiming that this woman has committed adultery. When the truth be told, it's probably one of the guys and he knows why. But the reality of it is they're all there. They're all with stones. They want to shut her up, maybe. I don't know. But they're going to 
uh, they, she has sinned and they're going to stone her for it. And Jesus steps in in all of his compassion, in all of his grace, and he says, he who is without the first sin, cast the first stone. He who is without sin, cast the first stone. And what do they do? They all put down their stones and they all leave. And Jesus looks at the woman caught in adultery and he says, now you go and sin no more. This Jesus is really something full of grace, full of compassion. In, in John chapter 9, you encounter Jesus as he heals a man born blind. In John chapter 10, you have this really crazy thing about Jesus. He actually claims himself to be God. Now, some of you in this room believe Jesus was a good person. Some of you in this room believe Jesus was a good teacher, maybe even a prophet. Some of you in this room believe Jesus was the Son of God. Some of you believe that he is exactly who he said he was. And in John chapter 10, he says, I and the Father are one. Jesus claimed to be God, friends. He claimed to be God. It's that, that old thing that either he's Lord, liar, or lunatic, right? He's Lord, liar, or lunatic. He's either Lord because he is who he says he was. He's either a liar, which really means he is a crazy guy, because he is claiming to be God in John chapter 10. This Jesus is really something. In John chapter 11, you encounter Jesus with a really close friend. It's, it contains the shortest verse in all of Scripture because it says that Jesus wept full of compassion, full of grief, even though he knows the end, full of just all of humanity. His friend dies. People don't really believe that Jesus is who he said he was. And it tells us that he wept. And yet, four days later, he waited four days, he went, and with his disciples, he calls Lazarus out of the tomb. Now that's really something, friends. You've got to be amazed when the guy can say, Lazarus. Now, I don't know if there were more than one Lazarus in the area. Maybe more than one guy popped out of the grave. I don't know. But he was talking to his friend, and he said, Lazarus, come forth. Come forth. What a great picture. This Jesus is really something. He raises people from the dead. In John chapter 12, Jesus foretells his death and resurrection as he did on multiple occasions. He would tell people, listen, there are people who have been raised from the dead before. I don't know if you know this. There are people, Lazarus, one of them. Okay, Lazarus, he was raised from the dead. Jesus did it. Um, Elijah, in the Old Testament, he raised somebody from the dead. It's one of those pieces where it's happened before, but nobody has been able to predict it and then let it come to pass, except for a guy named Jesus. And in John chapter 12, um, Jesus foretells his death and then again in John chapter 16, he foretells his death and resurrection. In John chapter 13, during the Passover, if you remember this story, Jesus pushes away from the table and he takes off his clothes and he wraps a towel around him and he begins to wash the disciples' feet in this great act of humility and this great act of service. He washes the disciples' feet. What a great testimony it is. This Jesus is really something. John chapter 14, he goes into this conversation with the disciples and he says, I am going away. Where you're going, where I'm going, you know the way to it. You know the way. And he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I'm going to prepare a place for you. And he tells his disciples that. But he says that as he leaves, he is going to bring, he's going to send the Holy Spirit to help the disciples. John chapter 15, Jesus tells his followers that they will experience trouble as it comes into the world. But he says, remain in me, abide in me, be in me, live in me, however you want to describe it. He's just saying, be, be with me, be in me. 
Because what? Because I have overcome the world. Don't worry about it. The world's coming after you. They're going to get you, but don't worry about it. I've overcome the world, so remain in me. John chapter 17, as Jesus is interceding in the high priestly prayer for his disciples, he says in John 17, 3, he so wonderfully defines eternal life for us. You see, you think eternal life is about the streets of gold and the crystal seas. You think, hey man, I've really arrived. Check it out. I'm walking on gold and I'm fishing in the crystal sea. That's what it's really like. But no, 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 no. John 17, 3 says, and this is eternal life that they may know you, the one true God, and your son, Jesus, whom you've sent. That they may know you. You see, the beautiful thing about eternal life is that the things that we know in part now and here in this world, we will know in their fullness when we see him face to face. And he defines that peace in eternal life and says, this is eternal life that they may know you, the one true God. And he is there and he's interceding for his disciples. John chapter 18, Jesus is betrayed by Judas and he's denied by Peter. We're getting to John 21, I promise. We're getting there. I told you we were going to go through the whole gospel. Betrayed by follower Judas. Denied by one of his closest, Peter. You get to John chapter 19 as Jesus is tried and crucified. And hangs on the cross and his blood was shed for us. In John chapter 20, guess what? The tomb is empty and Jesus is alive. It's the greatest news that we have is Paul the Apostle, one of the late followers of Jesus. He comes back and he says, if Jesus has not been raised from the dead, then we are of all people to be pitied above all. And our faith is useless. Jesus is alive. And in John chapter 21, he appears for the third time to his disciples. The third time. Now listen to this encounter. This is pretty fascinating to me. You're introduced to a couple of people. After these things, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and he manifested himself in this way. So this is how he showed up. John's writing this, recalling it. He says this, Simon Peter, one guy, Thomas, number two, called Didymus, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and the others of his disciples were together. So there's five listed. We know their names. There's two more who aren't listed, and then there's four for some reason who aren't there at all. So we, there's 11. You know, there were 12 minus Judas, 11. You can do math. So then you got five listed, two unlisted. There's four out there somewhere. We don't know where. Verse 3, Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. I'm going to hang a I'm gone fishing sign out on my house so come with me. And they said to him, we will also come with you. They went out and got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. That's my kind of fishing. Anybody else kind of fishing right there? Come on now. It's out of my mom and dad's house last week. Kids wanted to go fishing. We caught nothing. A whole lot of nothing. Verse 4, but when the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the beach. Yet the disciples didn't know it was Jesus. So Jesus said to them, children, don't you love that? Children, you do not have any fish, do you? They answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find a catch. Some stranger on the shore, remember it said they didn't know it was Jesus at first. So some stranger on the shore tells me to cast the net on the other side. Hey, I haven't had much luck. Why not try it, right? But he says, so they cast and then they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. Therefore, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, now this is John who's writing this, by the way, the disciple whom Jesus loved writes this, and he looks at Peter and he says, it is the Lord. 
And then I love, I love me some Peter. You love some Peter? I love me some Peter. So when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment. He put his outer garment on, it says, for he was stripped for work, and then he threw himself into the sea. Now, I've, I've still not figured out this whole thing that transpires here. I'm not sure why he got dressed only to jump in the water. I can't figure it out. I don't know, but he did. He got dressed and then jumped back in the water, and it says that they're about 100 yards from shore. Um, so, but the other disciples came in the little boat, not sure who won the race in that one, uh, for they were not far from the land, but about 100 yards away, dragging the net full of fish. So when they got on the land, they saw the charcoal fire ready, laid, already laid, and fish placed on it, and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have now caught. Simon Peter, Peter went up and drew the net to land full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Isn't that awesome? I think that's so cool right there. Come and have breakfast. Come on. None of the disciples ventured to question him, who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and the fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus was manifested to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. You see, the reality of it is, in this passage, you're, you're introduced to five people by name, essentially. You, two are lumped together as the sons of Zebedee. And I just want to talk to you for a few minutes about these people, because this is a really big deal. Scripture says this is the third time that they've seen the resurrected Christ. This is the third time that they've encountered him. Three times they've seen him now. Okay, and there's five people mentioned, so I want to look at those five people in their life. I think it's really important that you see that, because John references them in a way that he wants you to know that these are real people. John references them in a way that he wants to bring life to the names, and that's not always possible. Some people joke with me. I have one friend who, who I will say, my wife Carrie, and he's like, listen, I know when you mention Carrie, I know it's your wife. I, I understand that. But he says, are there any other Carries? And then I started naming all the other Carries in the church. He's like, oh, okay, I didn't know all those people. I'm like, yeah, you're right. But you bring life to a name. You've ever, that's what John does in this text. In John 21, he brings life to the name. And the first guy he mentions is our favorite, my favorite, maybe not yours, my favorite, Peter. Simon Peter. Doesn't really give an introduction to Simon Peter, because let's face it, Simon Peter needs no introduction. You know what I'm saying? He needs no introduction. If you've read any parts of Scripture, especially the Gospels or the New Testament, you know that Peter, I mean, he's sometimes a little bit of the life of the party kind of person in that he said some really crazy things. And you're, you're one of those guys that, you, if you're Peter's friend, you're like, Peter, man, you should not have said that at all. You really shouldn't have. But Simon Peter um, was called by Jesus to be a follower, and he gave up this fishing business, and he went and he followed Jesus. He was with Jesus. I, I think of Peter uh, at times almost like that secret service agent, you know, that hovers around the president. I think sometimes he tried to guard Jesus like that. Like, hey, this is Jesus. Y'all back off. But Jesus wanted people to be around him, you know? Jesus welcomed people. The woman that touched the hem of his garment, the children that came, even in Mark chapter 2 when the paralytic is, is lowered through the roof, Jesus didn't look at him and go, hey, what are you doing here? You're crashing the party. No, he says, son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus welcomed Peter, but I'm um, people, but Peter sort of tried to guard Jesus a little bit. Peter said some really crazy things. 
When, when Jesus was walking in this world, he'd ask the question, he says, well, who do you say that I am? First he said, well, who do people say that I am? And they all sort of gave these answers. And then he said, who do you say that I am? And Peter, boom, rock solid. Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And he responds, Matthew, 18, or Matthew 19, he says, and upon this rock I will build my church. Right? I mean, Peter was that, and he's like, yeah, Peter, go Peter. And then another time, Jesus is talking about his crucifixion and resurrection, and, and Peter goes, Jesus, surely this is not so. You have the information incorrect. Whom? I, I know I said you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Okay, I know that, but you're wrong on this one. You're wrong. And Jesus looks at Peter this time, and he says, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. Peter, crazy guy, gets to the end of, of really Jesus' ministry. He's handed over in the garden, what, three different times. It was predicted. Jesus told him he would. And Peter's like, no, nah, I'm going to go with you to death. But yet, three different times, he denies Christ. Never getting the chance before Jesus hangs on the cross to say, I'm sorry, never getting the chance to go, I didn't mean it. I can't imagine what Peter felt like for those three days. But then Jesus shows back up. And Peter's a different Peter. And then, after the end of that 40 days, and they're into the book of Acts, and we're not going to go there, and Jesus says, you're going to get power when the Spirit comes upon you. So Peter, after experiencing the resurrected Christ and being full of the Spirit, then he stands up. Get this, in Acts chapter 2, this same guy, this same Peter, okay, the same Peter who was unwilling to stand up when a middle school girl confronted him and says, weren't you, with one, weren't you one of his followers? And he's like, no, 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 not me. But in Acts chapter 2, after the resurrection, after receiving power, he says this, men of Israel, talking to the spiritual leaders, Listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst. Just as you yourselves know, this man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it is impossible for him to be held by its power. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you've crucified. And I sit there and go, yeah, love me some Peter. And one of the reasons I believe in Jesus is because Peter believed in Jesus. Peter believed. He walked with Jesus. He followed Jesus. He denied Jesus. But when he encountered the resurrected Lord, he stood in the face of these men and said, this Jesus whom you've crucified, God has raised, and he is both Lord and Christ. And I believe because Jesus, or Peter believed. Why do you believe? Why do you believe? The second person you're introduced to is a guy named Thomas. Thomas. Now we refer to him as Doubting Thomas, right? Because he had doubts. But, but let me introduce you to Thomas back in, in John chapter 11. And in John chapter 11, we're introduced to Thomas when they're getting ready, when Jesus is getting ready to go see Lazarus, who's in the grave. And Thomas, looking at his other disciples, and he says, hey, let's go with him even though we may die too. Now that's pretty bold. I'm thinking, I'm looking at Thomas going, way to go, buddy. 
Way to go, man, standing up. He's like, come with me. We're going to go, even if it means it's going to cost us our life. Let's go. John chapter 14, you see Thomas again in this, this passage that we already referred to, that Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. By the way, he says, you know the way to it. And Thomas, being puzzled, he says, but I don't know the way. I don't know the way. And then Jesus says, answers with, I am the way, the truth, and the life. What's he saying? I am the way. And then we get to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and we get that really awkward moment in Thomas's life. You know, you know the awkward moment. You've had those where you're talking about somebody, and they show up in the room. You know the moment where you're maybe having this conversation with your friend, and you're talking about your sister, and your sister walks in the room, that kind of thing, and your, your friend's going, stop talking. She's right behind you. But Thomas had this really awkward moment because it wasn't that he heard the door close or anything like that. It was just like, poof, Jesus showed up. The doors were closed, and it's like Jesus is there. And he, he was telling his disciples, I, don't, I won't believe. I won't believe until I see him. I won't believe until I see him. Some of you have doubts like that today. I want to tell you that Thomas had doubts, and it's okay to have doubts. He had doubts, and he says, I won't believe. And Jesus says, that's okay. Put your hand in my side. Go ahead, feel the nail holes that I have. Go ahead, feel it. And when he did, when he did, when Thomas, the man who said, I will go with you even to death, the man who said, I don't understand the way, I don't know what you're talking about, when he puts his fingers in the side of Jesus, in the wounds of Jesus, he cries out, my Lord and my God. One of the reasons I believe is because Thomas believed. One of the reasons I believe because Thomas, although he doubted, he put his hands in the wounds of Jesus and he believed and he was willing to give his life for what he believed. The third person that you're introduced to in John chapter 21 is a guy named Nathaniel. You don't know much about Nathaniel. Nathaniel is introduced to us in the early pages of the Gospel of John, and when we're introduced to him, we're introduced to him really with his friend Philip, who also is a disciple of Jesus, and they're saying, Philip is like, come and see, come and see, come and see Jesus, come and see this Jesus from Nazareth, and Nathaniel says, ha, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Can anything really good come out of Nazareth at all? Surely nothing good comes out of Nazareth. And then Jesus, knowing this about Nathanael, he says this. He says, um, Behold, Jesus says, saw Nathanael coming and said, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit, a real stand-up guy full of integrity, right? He says there's no deceit found in him. He's an Israelite. How do you know me, Jesus? And Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael answered him, Simple, Rabbi, this is awesome. This is good stuff. Nathanael's a stand-up guy, an Israelite of Israelites. He's a great person, right? Good person. But he recognizes something about Jesus. And he says, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Nathaniel was willing to give his life for Jesus when he encountered the resurrected Lord. And one of the reasons I believe is because Nathaniel, who's from Cana, who's a stand-up Israelite guy in whom there is no deceit, believed in Jesus. And it's one of the reasons I believe. Why do you believe? The next two people we're introduced to in John chapter 21 are the Sons of Thunder. Now, if I could pick a nickname, I think that would be a really cool nickname. Anybody else? I wish I could pick my own nickname, but I would pick the Sons of Thunder, you know? Um, But really, we're introduced to them as the Sons of Zebedee. They're named the Sons of Thunder later, but it's James and John. 
They're the last two people that we know by name who are in the boat as Jesus shows up in John chapter 21. James is believed to be the older brother. This, this brother who sets the pace in, in following Jesus, and Jesus calls them. He calls both of these men out of a successful business with their father. He calls both of these men to be followers and to give up everything they know, everything they have, things they're very comfortable with. Now, listen, this was no slouch of a family, by the way. Scripture tells us that their dad was, I would use maybe the word a socialite, but that might be the wrong word. Their dad was really somebody well-respected in the community and had a very successful business in which he had servants that worked and it also supported Zebedee and his two sons and whatever family they may have had. This was a successful business and Jesus calls James and John to follow him. This Jesus must really be somebody, by the way. They gave up everything to follow Jesus. And then James and John become some of the closest followers of Jesus in his ministry. You know, they're there in the garden where Jesus is sweating drops of blood. They're there. They're told to stand guard. You know, you know, they're told to stand guard and to pray because the hour's about to come. The hour is approaching. Stand guard and pray. And what do they do? They're like us. They fell asleep. They, they did. Now, I, I know that's not the super spiritual thing to do, but we've all done it. I, I, would, I admit that I've fallen asleep when I've been praying. And they did too. They failed. But James, in Acts chapter 12, listen to this. When he had encountered the resurrected Lord, when he went about standing up for what he believed in Jesus, Acts chapter 12 gives us the picture into the final part of James's life. And it says this, now about that time, Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. Don't you think that somewhere, if Jesus wasn't who he said he was, don't you think somewhere that if he hadn't really risen from the dead, that John, his brother, would have at least stood up and said, my brother made all this up. Don't kill him. Don't kill him. Don't put him to death by the sword. But no, these men gave up everything and followed Jesus. And I believe because James was the son of Zebedee. And Zebedee was a real guy who ran a real business. And his son believed in Jesus and was willing to be killed for what he believed. And I believe because he believed. And that brings us to John, who is believed to be the youngest disciple of Jesus. And because he was the youngest disciple of Jesus, he had this special place and special relationship with our Lord. And in that relationship, yes, he becomes the disciple whom Jesus loved, the beloved one, so to speak. And John becomes that. He has this close relationship with Jesus he walks with Jesus. He's in that inner circle of three people with Jesus. He's watching Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, and he sees that take place before his eyes, and it's this beautiful thing in his life. And yeah, he too is in the garden as Jesus sweats drops of blood, and he too is there when Jesus says, you keep watch and pray, and he's there, and he falls asleep just like Peter, just like James did. But John, John is beloved of the Lord. John's the one, maybe you don't know this, John's the one who's standing at the foot of the cross as Jesus is being crucified, and Jesus looks down in one of the seven cries from the cross, and he says, Behold your mother, mother, behold your son. And he, John is the one, the beloved disciple, whom Jesus entrusts the care of his own mother. That's 
John. John, who at that point is willing to give his life for the Lord, willing to give his life, and he wants to tell people about Jesus, and yet he goes on to live the rest of his life in exile by himself in loneliness and can tell nobody about Jesus. And one of the reasons I believe is because John, one of the sons of Zebedee, whom Jesus entrusted with his own mother as Jesus was hanging on the cross about to be killed, one of the reasons I believe is because he believed. Why do you believe? You see, that's just five. I haven't even gotten to Jesus' mother Mary, who stood at the foot of the cross, who knew who Jesus was. We haven't even gotten to Mary. One of the reasons I believe is because Mary believed. And as she stood and she watched her son be crucified and hung on the cross, I believe because she believed. She didn't at that point cry out and say, no, it's not true. Save my son. He made it all up. And I believe in a mother's love that she, if, if she really thought that it was, he was lying, that she would do it to save his life. But one of the reasons I believe is because she stood there and she watched as her son hung on the cross and was crucified for us. I believe because she believed. Haven't even gotten to James, the brother of Jesus. I mean, come on. How hard would it be for you to convince your brother that you were the son of God? Come on now. That's a joke. You can laugh at that. I have two older brothers. I know how difficult that would be to convince them that I was even somebody special, much less the son of God. Could you imagine growing up in that house? I mean, this Jesus whom did no wrong, nor was any deceit found in him, walked in absolute righteousness, right, fulfilled all of the law, which, by the way, remember the fifth commandment of the Ten Commandments? Maybe you don't. Let me remind you. Honor your father and mother. Jesus, go clean your room. Yes, ma'am. Jesus, do the dishes. Yes, ma'am. And you're like, James is the brother going, why do you always just do it when, the first, when they ask the first time? I don't understand that. I don't get that. James didn't believe at first that Jesus was the Son of God, but somewhere... Somewhere he believed, and somewhere he became a leader in the New Testament church, and somewhere he began to stand up and testify to this Jesus whom was crucified and rose from the dead. I believe because James, the brother of Jesus, believed that Jesus was the Son of God. I believe because James believed that he was crucified for our sins. I believe because James believed that he rose from the dead. Why? Do you believe? You see, I, I'm, not, I'm not here today to try to convince you. I just want to ask you the question, why do you believe? Why do you believe in the greatest story told about the greatest man and the greatest God ever? Why do you believe it? And friends, if you're like me and you do believe it, then I have a little bit of a challenge for you. And the question is this, what are you going to do about it? You're going to keep showing up to church week after week after week after week and just say, ah, oh, that's cool, I did that. See, at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, a different account of the story of Jesus, right? Jesus tells his disciples, go and get your brother, and that's what he says first. Go and get those who, are, who believe like you believe. Gather them around. Gather him around. Then he says this at the end. You know it's called the Great Commission. And he says, now, meet me in Galilee. And they meet at the designated place. And Jesus looks at them all and he says, now, go into all the world and make disciples. 
Are you making disciples? Are you bearing witness? Are you testifying that Jesus is risen from the dead? Are you testifying that he has made you into a new creature? Are you saying anything? Does your life speak? Do words come out of your mouth to tell people about Jesus? Because this Jesus is really something. He's really something. What are you going to do? Who are you going to tell? Who are you going to say? Like Philip with his friend Nathaniel, he says, come and see. Like the woman at the well in John chapter 4, come and see, come and see, come and see. My second challenge is for you today who don't believe like I believe. Maybe you, you think all the things that I have said about Jesus today, I've made up. And I just want to challenge you to let today be the day that you believe, not because I said so, but you believe because Peter believed, and you believe because Thomas, who doubted, believed. And friends, if you don't believe, and you don't believe because you have doubts, well, how could God do this, or how could God allow this, and you have all these questions that you can't seem to find the answer to, guess what? Join the club. There's a great big club of Christians who don't have all the answers. And you're never going to have all the answers. That's why we call it faith. Step out in faith and believe. Step out in faith and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's okay to not have all your questions answered. Are you going to let the fact that you don't have your questions answered keep you from a relationship with God that only comes through Jesus Christ? Friends, believe today because Peter believed, because Thomas put his hands in the wounds of Jesus, because Nathaniel, who's a stand-up Israelite in whom there is no deceit, because James and John had a father whom they left and followed Jesus and were willing to give their lives for him. Believe because they believed, because they're real people, and John is trying to give them a real name as he introduces them in John chapter 21. Simon Peter Nathaniel, who's from Cana, Thomas called Didymus, he's trying to draw you in. Doesn't even call James and John by name, just says the sons of Zebedee. They're real people. Believe because they believed. Believe because they believed that Jesus walked in this world. He lived the righteous life that you and I could never live. He died on a cross that you and I could never bear. And he stepped in, as John describes in John chapter 3, and he stepped in as the full wrath of God was tracking for you in your life. And Jesus stepped in and absorbed all of that wrath. But friends, if you don't believe in Jesus, if you don't have Jesus, then the wrath of God abides on you. So today, I beg you, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe because these men believed and gave up their life for him. Let's pray together. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I know there's a lot of different people in the room today, and I just want to make this invitation to you. Just keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I believe because these men who went thousands of years before us, believed. I don't know where you stand, but I know this. 
Jesus says to believe in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And I want to give you the chance today. Maybe you're in this room and you've never publicly declared that you believe in Jesus. You've never publicly said, I believe in Jesus. Or maybe you've, you've just never believed. Maybe in your life you've never believed in Jesus. And today you want to say for the first time, I'm just going to raise my hand and say, I believe in Jesus. We had a couple of people that raised their hand in the first service. I just want to ask you, does anybody in this room today want to say, I believe in Jesus. For the very first time today, I'm raising my hand to say, I believe in Jesus Christ. Anybody in this room say, I believe in Jesus. Just slip your hand up. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I believe in Jesus. For the very first time, I believe. Thank you. Thank you. For those of you who have never believed before, I'm just going to lead you in a prayer, and if you choose to let this prayer be an expression of the faith that you have in Jesus, then that is just awesome stuff. And you just say, you just, you're like, I don't know what to say to God, so here it is. You just say, dear God, I confess to you that I'm a sinner, and I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, and I'm asking you to save me through his bloodshed on the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, God is so good and gracious to us. We're going to sing together. As I close, I'm going to ask if Brandon and Kim would come and just lead us. We're going to sing this song, Cornerstone, talking about Jesus. He's our cornerstone. We're going to close our time together. If you want to come down front, if you raised your hand, you want to make this public and say, I believe in Jesus, then you just come down front and let's do that together. If you just need to come down front and pray, let's do that together too. Josh and I will be here. Let's pray. God, you're good and gracious and kind. Thank you for saving us. God, thank you for sending Jesus to walk in this world, to die a death I could not die, to bring me into a relationship with you that I could not get to on my own. You are so good and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.